Well, I'm excited about sharing the word today. Uh, as we prepare to go into the Christmas season, I want us to, uh, to consider a psalm here today. Psalm 143 is where I'm going to be reading from. Psalm 143, there's 12 verses, and we'll read the entire psalm. Father, in the name of Jesus, we approach your word today. We ask that you would speak to us powerfully. We ask that your word, O oh God, would find root in our heart and that it would bring forth fruit to the glory of God. And that you might be magnified in our lives as we walk according to your word. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 143. It's a prayer or a psalm of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In thy faithfulness answer me and in thy righteousness. And enter not into judgment with thy servant. For in thy sight shall no man living be justified. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has smitten my life to the ground. He has made me to dwell in darkness as those that have been long dead. Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is desolate. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the work of thy hands. I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land. Selah. Hear me speedily, O Lord, my spirit faileth. Hide not thy face from me, lest I be like unto them that go down into the pit. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. Deliver me, O Lord, from mine enemies. I flee unto thee to hide me. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. Quicken me, O Lord, for thy name's sake. For thy righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. And of thy mercy, cut off mine enemies and destroy all them that afflict my soul. For I am thy servant. Uh, the message I want to share with you here this morning, I've entitled Soul Protection. You know, feeling protected is, is kind of a base desire that we all need to be uh, to have fulfilled in our lives. The desire for safety and security is on the bottom of the, of the uh, pyramid of, of, of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's one of the, the base physical needs that everybody wants to have, safety and security. We all want to feel protected. We all want to feel safe. We all want to feel secure because if we don't, if we don't feel protected, then we can feel afraid or exposed or uncertain or out of control. A feeling of protection and safety and security makes us feel like that we are in control. I mean, look at how we live our lives. I mean, we lock our doors, right? It would be nice if we were all saved and we all love Jesus, we could leave our doors unlocked at night. But unfortunately, we got to lock our doors, right? We've got cameras set up. We've got all kinds of security features on our house. We lock up our prized possessions. So, I mean, we've got our houses locked. Then we've got, then we've got safes in our house that we lock things in our safe and trying to keep everything protected. Some of you've got your guns locked and loaded, ready to protect your house and your possessions. Why? Because we want to feel safe. We want to feel protected. We have insurance to protect us from unseen medical events. We protect ourselves from future financial issues by saving money or investing money. At least we probably should be doing things like that. We do whatever we can to keep our kids safe and secure and protected. Some of us a little bit too much. We are helicopter parents. We don't want our kids to ever scrape a knee, but it, you know, it's in our nature 
to protect our kids, to cover them, to, to make sure they're safe and they're secure. We slather ourselves with sunscreen when we're outside in the sun, at least we should, to protect ourselves from the damaging effects of the sun. Our country has Homeland Security Department. They have the FBI, the CIA, the largest and most powerful military in the world. Why? To protect the American people. We feel like that we are safe and secure because we've got folks that are standing guard for us. We've got people, you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall, right? We have people that are standing there for us. 2020, if we would admit, has probably stripped a lot of us of that feeling of safety and security. This has not been the best year, and that's probably an understatement for a lot of us. This is not the best year to celebrate. 2020 has kind of been a rough year. And I don't need, you know, we don't really need to rehearse everything that's happened during uh, this year, but most of us would agree that in some way or another it has uh, taken its toll on our lives. What it's created a life of lockdowns and mask wearing and, and social distancing and virtual meetings and some of you even had a virtual holiday. I mean, it's everything has been turned upside down during 2020. And obviously, it's affected the health of our nation. Uh, people have died from this. People are still struggling with this. People still have issues even after they come out uh, of, of shedding the virus. So we know that it's affected the health of our nation. It's not just affected our health. It's uh, affected us financially. It's affected us emotionally. Why? Because what's happening to us starts affecting what's happening in us. The consistent crisis of life weighs heavily on our soul. And so there are lots of times, maybe we've got PPE that can protect us from a virus, but what do we do to protect our souls? Because what is happening around us many times starts to seep into our lives. It starts seeping into our souls. Psalm 143 is actually one of my favorite psalms. I've been praying it for a while. Uh, and it's, it's, it's numbered among the psalms that's known as a, uh, a penitential psalm or uh, a psalm of penance or a psalm of repentance. It's a, it's a song of confession and humility uh, before God. And it's a prayer from a man who is being persecuted. His soul is being persecuted. So when we look at David, David had a lot of issues, and we know that. David committed some of the most horrendous sins that were ever listed in Scripture. So David, with all of the issues that he has, he is one of the most honest, real, transparent, humble people in all of Scripture. He was a king. But yet he was not afraid to express his desperation for God. He was not afraid to express his deep need for God. So even as a king, in the presence of God, he saw himself as every other person. There is no one living, he said, that is righteous before you. Even this king, who could have anything that he want, had the power that he needed, recognized how much he needed God. David, with all of his failures, with all of his mistakes, he's one of the most transparent, humble people in all of Scripture. And we know that David had a lot of enemies. Just being a king obviously made him have a lot of enemies. His enemies started all the way back with his, with his own family and, and King Saul trying to have him killed and, and his, own, his own son rebelling uh, against him and against his, his kingdom as well as you know, countries around him and outside uh, uh, battles that he had to fight and, and giants that he had 
to face. And this was a cry during some type of crisis in David's life. He doesn't indicate what this crisis is. He doesn't indicate what this enemy is or who this enemy is or what it is exactly it is that he's fighting. There may have been some type of physical attack that's going on right now in his life, or maybe, it, again, it's, it, it's in regards to uh, something that's happened with Absalom, his son, or something that's happened with Saul, the, the former uh, king. But whatever is going on in David's life, whatever crisis that he is facing, whatever enemy he is speaking about, we see that from this prayer, he's not really focusing on any physical thing. He's focusing on the misery of his own soul. He's, fa- he's talking about his own soul sickness. Whatever this crisis is, David is crying out from a dark place for his heart. A dark time for his heart. And I just, you know, I, I want to ask you, not, not just in this year, but ha- have you ever been there? I think every one of us can testify that we have been in those dark places in our lives where our soul just feels like it's consistently being weighed down. Because let's just be honest, there's no problem in life that doesn't touch every area of our life. Whether it's physically or emotionally or psychologically or spiritually, almost every issue we go through, no matter where it originates, whether it's it's a problem with our physical body or a problem with our finances or a a psychological or emotional issue or, or a spiritual battle that we're going through, we understand that eventually, no matter where it comes from, it weighs on our hearts. Eventually, it weighs on who we are as a person. It, it drags our soul down. For David, it was a known enemy, maybe multiple enemies. As I said, David just being king, uh, it, it made him open to all types of attacks, physically as well as spiritually. He had all kinds of enemies, but isn't that how it always works? When it rains, it pours, Right? It seems like just when you think you're, you're getting up from this battle, you get smacked from the other side. And just when you think you may be winning on this end, all of a sudden something starts falling apart here. Um, this is normally how it happens. And, and it starts weighing on your soul. No matter how much we may put on the face or we may act like that we have it all together, it starts weighing on our soul. I mean, listen to how David describes his soul condition in this passage of Scripture. He uses the phrase, my soul is persecuted, persecuted my soul. My life has been crushed to the ground. He said, I'm living in darkness like those who are long dead. He says, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart is desolate or distressed or appalled. He says, my spirit fails, that I feel like those who have gone down into the pit. I don't know about you, but there are times that I've felt what David is feeling. I've felt persecuted, crushed. I've felt like something is dead on the inside of me or something is dying. I have felt overwhelmed or distressed. I have felt like I am failing or I'm falling into a pit. I've felt stuck. I've felt trapped. I've felt discouraged. And this is life sometimes. This is the frustration of a broken world. This can be also the manifestation of a demonic attack in our lives. It's toxic to our souls. As long as we live in a world, folks, that is crushed by sin, then we're going to live in a world full of disappointment. We're going to live in a world full of discouragement. 
We're going, to, we're going to go through distressing times. We're going to go through battles. And what that actually reminds us is that we're not made for this world. We're actually made for a different place. So we turn our eyes to where we belong. But we've all been in these places where our soul has felt the weight of the world. And you know what? It should bring us some encouragement to know that even the Son of God had to face a crisis of his own soul. When, is he, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he went to the cross, the Bible says that his soul was exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Even before he went to his actual crucifixion, the Bible says his soul was so crushed within him, so heavy with sorrow, so heavy with the realization of what he was about to face, that it was almost to the point of death. He sweated drops of Blood. Verse 4 that David prays there. He says, therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is desolate. Man, that could have very well been the words that came out of Jesus' mouth when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you know what that means? We serve a God who understands the depths of who we are and what we feel. We serve a God who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. We serve a God who is not distant, who is not on the outside, who is not a stranger to those who hurt and those who fight and those who are weary. We serve a God who knows exactly where we are and knows exactly what we're going through, and has felt the weight upon his soul. So what do we do? How do we find safety and security for our souls? What do we do for soul protection? What do we do to protect our soul during times like these? Whether it's just 2020 in general, or whether whatever battle it is that you're facing, whatever it is that you're going through, because they're coming. Maybe right now you're having the greatest time of your life, but it's coming. Battles are coming. War is here. And so you've got to recognize, what do we do to protect our soul? David gives us some insights here in this passage of Scripture. And real quickly, I will go through them. Number one, he says, I remember. He says, I remember. Starting there at verse 5, I remember the days of old. See, remembering the goodness of God, remembering the faithfulness of God in our past is one of the best ways to build faith and to restore hope. We know that God has been good to us. We know that God has shown us his favor. We remember that he saved us, that he redeemed us, that he's answered prayer, that he's healed our body, that he's delivered us, that he's gotten us through other dark times in our lives. And so when we remind ourselves of those times, when we remind ourselves of the blessings of God from our past, it leads us to trust him that not only he can, but that he will do it again. That this God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, this God who is the Lord and does not change, is the same God that as we remember the days of old. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't believe that we're supposed to consistently look back at what used to be. We should always be pressing forward. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind. And I understand that. I'm not talking about trying to live in the past. I'm not talking about trying to go back and, and, and see what God did and then stay there. I'm talking about reminding ourselves that God was there for us. And God is going to continue to be there for us. 
that if God brought us to this place, he is not going to leave us. The Bible says that he will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. That he is even, the Bible tells us in Timothy that even when we are faithless, he remains faithful still. And so I just want to remind you, one of the best ways you can build your faith, one of the best ways you can restore hope in your life is remember. Remember where you used to be. If you can't remember anything else, remember where you were before you came to Christ and remember where you are now. Remember the darkness and the brokenness and the helplessness of a life of sin and how he came and rescued your life. The greatest miracle that has ever happened in your life. He can do it again. I remember, David says. The second thing that he says in verse 5 is that he meditates and he muses. I meditate and muse. David didn't just get lost in some type of nostalgia. He he didn't just get stuck in the past. Because, let's be honest, there are even times that when we start thinking about the past, if our past had better times, it can actually start discouraging us because we're like, well, I wish we were back there, right? But David didn't get stuck in nostalgia. What he did was he meditated and mused on what? The work of God's hands. He didn't just think about, man, I wish I was back there. He meditated, he mused upon what God had done and what God is going to continue to do. The word meditate here in the Hebrew doesn't just mean to think about it. It means to utter or speak or groan or growl. I don't know if you've ever growled when you've been meditating, but it kind of has an indication from from ancient um, ways of praying that many times when people, when they would think upon the word, when we, they would think upon the promises of God, that they would literally make noises and groans as they were praying out what God's word was saying. So this meditation doesn't mean to th- just think about it. It means to utter or to speak. And the word muse here, normally when we think about musing, we think about deep thought or pondering. It does mean to ponder, but it doesn't just mean to ponder. It also indicates a speaking to oneself. So meditation is not just thinking, and and musing is not just pondering something. It means to speak it or utter it or to literally speak to yourself. Sometimes, not only do we need to remember, but we need to rehearse the promises of God to ourselves. There is power in the words that we speak. There is power in the confession that comes out of our mouth. When we meditate, the Bible tells us in Joshua chapter 1 that this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night. Meditation and speaking are linked together in the Word of God. It's not sitting around in the lotus position going, oh, oh. It is literally taking time to think through what God's Word is saying and then speaking it to ourselves. The Bible says in Psalm 1 that if we, we will meditate in the law day and night, we will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. We will bring forth our free fruit in its season, our leaf will not wither. Everything that we do shall prosper. Why? Because we meditate and we muse upon the promises of God. See, David may have had some naysayers in his life. I'm sure he did. 
He probably had some doubters in his life. Just like his wife tried to tell him that he was acting like a fool because he was dancing around with just a, with just a, a, a scarf on when they brought the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem as he danced before the presence of God. She said, you're a king. Kings don't act like that. David said, I'm a worshiper. And this is exactly how worshipers act. Because there are times in our lives, folks, where we're going to have people around us that are going to consistently remind us. Instead of remembering what God has done, we're going to consistently be reminded of what we don't have, of what's not happening in our lives, of how we're not going to get through it, how this prayer wasn't answered, and this happened to aunt so-and-so, and so you get discouraged. We're always going to have naysayers. We're always going to have doubters speaking into our ears. And David knew that if his soul was going to find protection, he needed to talk to himself. The Bible, you know the passage of Scripture. The Bible tells us that David had to learn to encourage himself in the Lord. We need to fill our minds and our mouths with the goodness of God and with the truth of His Word. When we meditate and we muse, we are not just thinking deeply. We are not just pondering on the Word of God, but we are speaking it out to ourselves. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. You will eat the fruit of the words that come out of your mouth. And so many of us are living defeated, discouraged lives because we simply need to change how we're talking. We need to change our confession. There is power in our confession. So when this book of the law does not depart out of our mouth and out of our minds. It brings fruit, and it brings prosperity, and it brings success, and it brings victory into our lives. I meditate, and I muse. Number three, he said he stretched forth his hands unto God. I pray, and I praise. I pray, and praise. David said, I stretch out my hands to God. This is a position of prayer and a position of praise. David knew where his protection came from. He knew where his soul could find rest. In verse 9, he says, Deliver me, O Lord, from mine enemies. I flee unto thee to hide me. David says, You are my hiding place. You are my refuge. You are my covering. David knew where to go. He could have stayed up all night walking the floor and losing sleep, but David knew where to go. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to praise. My soul was persecuted. I feel distressed. I feel discouraged. I feel weighed down. I feel like I've been dead. I feel like I'm falling into a pit, but I know where to go. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to praise. And we see the attitude of his prayer. He relies on God's faithfulness. He relies on God's righteousness. He relies on God's mercy. In verse 1, he says here, Hear my prayer and my supplications. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness, answer me. Don't don't sit in judgment against me. David understood where his position was. David did not come to God thinking, God, you need to answer my prayer because I deserve it. He was coming to God in recognition of how good God was, not how good David was. He was coming into God's presence in recognition of God's character. Not that David thought that his character deserved to receive anything, but that when he received anything from God, 
It was simply because of God's faithfulness, God's righteousness, God's mercy. David knew what attitude to have. Most assuredly, David recognized his undeserving position. But the Bible tells us in verse 8 that because God had caused him to hear his loving kindness. Because David had trusted in God's mercy to deal with his enemies. He could pray a prayer of trust. He trusted. The Bible says there he prays. In verse 7, he trusted that God would not hide his face from him no matter what he was going through. He knew that God was for him and not against him. There's actually a lot of passages in the scripture that point forward to a lot of writings that Paul had in the New Testament where Paul writes about the fact that none of us are righteous. No, not one. That Paul writes about that God is for us and not against us. God has not turned his face from us. And that's what it feels like lots of times when we feel stuck in this pit. When we feel like we're in a place of distress. When we feel like we're in a place of discouragement. God has forgotten me. God has turned his face from me. But you need to know that it's in this that God reveals his goodness to us. God will get glory out of your life. He has not forgotten you. He will not leave you. He is for you and not against you. You can recognize his blessing in your life. And so what does this trust produce? It will always produce praise. Not praise when you feel like it, but praise because he deserves it. Praise because he's worthy of my surrender. He said, I stretch forth my hands unto thee. I pray and I praise. You got to know where to go, church. You got to know where to go. There's nothing wrong with getting opinions from other people. There's nothing wrong with having people pray for you. There's nothing wrong with trying to get counsel or or trying to see what other people think about situations. But at the end of the day, the only one that can give you soul protection is the refuge. It is the rock. He is the king. He is your God. He is your Lord. You got to know where to go. Pray and praise. Number four. Number four. I pursue. He said, not only do I stretch out my hands into thee, but my soul thirsts after thee as a thirsty land. I know you've heard it. You've heard it all year long, and you're going to continue to hear it, that we have been called to pursue. I want to continue to encourage you. Some of us have gotten distracted. Some of us have gotten off track. Some of us may have started out this this year truly pursuing God, truly spending time in prayer, truly spending time in the Word of God. But something has got us off track. And I'm telling you, you've got to pursue God. David said, my soul thirsts for you. Not only did he know where to go in prayer and praise, but he knew where to continue to press in. This is so powerful. Because no matter what David was going through, no matter what the enemy tried to pour in him, no matter the condition of his soul, he still pursued. No matter what he was going through, he continued to thirst after God. You know, this is one of the deceptions of the enemy. This is one of the deceptions of demonic attack in our lives. Remember, the devil is always a liar. Jesus said he's a liar. He's a father of it. He's not going to tell you the truth. He'll mix in some truth. He'll try to make sound all spiritual and religious but he's lying to you, and his lies will destroy you. And one of the lies that he tells us is that I'm going to overwhelm your soul. I'm going to overwhelm your soul with issues 
and problems and fears and anxieties and doubts. And in so doing, I'm going to strangle your desire to pursue God. And if we were all honest, we've been there. It's easy for us to pursue God when everything's going well in our lives, right? When we come to church and, man, we just feel like God has just sat down beside us in the pew. When we have services where we just worship and cry and celebrate. We go through times of our lives where it seems like God is just pouring out his favor upon our lives. It's easy to pursue God then. But what the enemy does is eventually he starts pouring in stuff in our lives. Let me weigh his soul down. Let me weigh his mind down. Let me weigh our heart down with the things of the world and with the issues of life. And what ends up happening is, is it strangles our pursuit of God. It keeps us from going after the Lord because we no longer feel like it. We spend time in prayer and it seems like it's just hitting the ceiling. We, we take time in prayer and we just end up getting frustrated or aggravated instead of pushing into God. Our problems then become obstacles. They become hindrances. They become discouraging roadblocks in our pursuit. The enemy knows this. You think that the devil is just going to sit back and watch you pursue God and not do anything about it? You think the devil is just going to sit back and watch you pray and praise and worship and meditate and muse and remember the things of God and not attack You don't realize that this is a war that when you decided to pursue God, you declared war on the kingdom of darkness. So what does that mean? Expect the obstacles. Expect the opposition and pursue anyway. There has to come a time in our lives, church, where we pick ourselves up by faith and we move forward even when we don't feel like it. The pursuit is not supposed to be easy. There Again, there are times where your prayer life is going to feel like heaven on earth. There's times, there are times that your worship is going to feel free with nothing standing in the way. There are going to be times in your life where you feel like you're living victoriously. You're overcoming the flesh and overcoming sin and, and you're walking in faith. But we all know that as long as there's a devil loose... There are going to be, there is going to be opposition. There's going to be hindrances. There are going to be times where our ground does not feel like it's stable beneath us. But we continue to pursue. David, in the middle of feeling like he was in a pit, feeling like he was long dead, still thirsted after God. If you've lost your thirst, ask him to give it back to you. Ask him to give it back to you. You've got to pursue. And number five, what does David do? He he remembers, he meditates and muses, he prays and praises, he pursues. And number five, I obey. David prayed, cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. He prays, teach me to do Thy will. In his remembering and meditating and musing, in his praying and praising, pursuing, it leads David to the desire to know God's will. See, David recognized that trusting leads to obedience. That obedience is the natural fruit of trust. You know, when we, think, when we talk about faith, 
Uh, there's, there are different elements of faith. There's the element of saving faith that brings us to the cross. That is a faith that is actually planted in us by God himself uh, because salvation is completely of God. He, he gives unto us the measure of faith that allows us to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God that literally changes and radically transforms our life. There's saving faith. There's the faith that receives things from God. The Bible tells us that when we come, we should ask in faith, believing. Uh, and when we ask in faith, that's how we receive the blessings of God. But true, deep, real, biblical faith is actually translated as trust. A secure, foundational reality that no matter what is going on in my life, I trust the character and the goodness and the faithfulness of God. I trust that God knows what he's doing because when I cannot see him, I will still trust his character. I will still trust what his word says. I will give God the benefit of the doubt because I know that he is for me and not against me. And this trust leads us to fearless, fearless obedience. Where we step out by faith and do what we know we're called to do because we know God will take care of the rest. Trusting, folks, is not meant to be passive. It's not meant for us to just sit around and expect God to do anything. The Bible tells us that we walk by faith. We act upon faith. And I want you to notice David's prayer here is for God's spirit to lead him, the King James Version says, into the land of uprightness. Another translation says that your good spirit will lead me to level ground. As much as our problems and the weights on our soul many times produces an unlevel ground underneath us, following the leading of the spirit always leads us to stable ground. The earth, the world, the things of the world, the problems of life, they're always going to be shaky. They're always going to be shaky. But when we rely on the leading of the Holy Spirit, when we rely on the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, when we learn to trust Him, He levels the ground before us. The Bible tells us that he will make our paths straight, that he will bring the mountains down and raise the valleys up so that we might walk a straight path. If we will learn to trust the Spirit, even the Bible says, though the mountains be cast into the sea, we can still know that he is God and that he's for us and that he's leading us and directing us. As we walk forward, the walls can be crumbling down around us. Think of the nation of Israel walking through on the Red Sea on both sides. Walls of water that could very easily crush them in an instant. But they walk straight through under the blessing of God. When we learn to obey by trusting the Holy Spirit, when we learn to obey God and the work of His hands, then the Holy Spirit empowers us to keep walking, to keep moving, to experience His victory, to experience His joy, because the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. And so when we learn to trust Him, when we learn to obey under the power of the Holy Spirit, church, this is all we've been called to do. We've not been called to fix it. We've not been called to try to make it better. All we have been called to do is obey. God takes care 
of the rest. We just have the courage to obey. David ends his prayer with a cry that he be quickened or that he be brought to life. And this is where remembering and praying and obedience leads us. It leads us to life. It leads us to his presence that the Bible says, in his presence there is life. That in his presence there is fullness of joy. That at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. As we remember and as we muse and as we pray and as we praise and as we trust and as we obey, it leads us to life. It leads us to a quickening in our spirit. That which is dead comes back to life. And then he rests in God. He rests in God's mercy in the last verse of this psalm to take care of his enemies. You know what that means to me? David rests in God taking care of only what God can take care of. There are times in our lives we have to trust God to do what we cannot do. There are times in our lives that we cannot fix it, but we can trust that God will do what he said he would do. As I close here this, this morning, I know that this year has been overwhelming, and we don't always know what to do, but I want you to hear this today. We may not know what to do, but we cannot act like we don't know where to go. We may not always know what to do, but we know where to go. We know where to go. And I encourage you, there is always, there is always hope. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care how you feel. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what's been done to you. David said, calls me. He will cause you to hear his loving kindness in the morning. He will cause you to know the way wherein you should walk. God is not silent. God is not absent. So continue to remember. Continue to meditate and muse. Continue to pray and praise. Continue to pursue and obey. Why? Because God is faithful. God is righteous. God is merciful. And He's the protector of our souls. He will protect our souls in the middle of of the battle. Let me pray for you here this morning. I know that some of you really have been struggling in your heart, struggling in your soul, and we've all been there. Sometimes we're missing the courage that we need to obey, and my prayer is that God gives us that courage. And so let me pray for you today that God's healing power would flow over you in Jesus' name. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the promises of your word. God, we run to this word because we know in it we find prosperity and success and victory. In it we find hope and joy and healing and peace. I pray, O oh God, for every person that is listening to this message today, I ask, Lord, for the healing balm of your grace and mercy would wrap around their souls, their minds, their hearts this day. I ask, God, that you would encourage and strengthen us from the inside, that, God, you would give us the courage and the boldness to obey your word and to walk by faith. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would release us from anxiety and worry and doubt. And we pray for those who are sick in body, who are facing and fighting COVID and and other illnesses in their life. We ask in the name of Jesus that you would bring healing and health 
in the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. We pray that the same power that raised Christ from the dead would be the same power that quickens our mortal body. And now we ask, O God, that you would quicken our souls, quicken our hearts. Lord, bring an awakening to our spirits. Revive us again, we ask, in Jesus' name. And Lord, we hear your promise. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We take your yoke upon us. We learn of you because we know, God, that your burden's light. We know, oh God, that we find rest for our souls. Thank you that today, today you bring rest for our souls. We come against fear. We come against doubt. We come against worry. And we thank you, Lord, that faith is rising in our hearts this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me here online today. Those of you who may get a chance to hear this sermon at a later date, I pray that every word hits its target, that it brings encouragement and strength to you in Jesus' name. Next Sunday, we will be having service here in the sanctuary in person. Uh, so you are invited to come and join us here in the sanctuary. We will be socially distanced. We will be wearing masks. So you are more than welcome to come and join us. If not, we will be on uh, Facebook Live, you can join us there. This Wednesday, we will be having Wednesday night in the Word again, so you can join us this Wednesday night. Uh, but I'm excited. I'm looking forward to next Sunday. hope some of you can come and join us in the sanctuary. God bless you. You have a wonderful week, and know that God is protecting your soul in Jesus' name.